Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello. Welcome back to Not Your Average Joe, the podcast that'll make anyone a little less average. I'm your host, Joe Franco, and I'm super excited to introduce you to one of my favorite human beings on this earth. I call her my fairy godmother. I think one of the biggest important things you can do in life is to be the CEO of your own life. That means you take 1000% responsibility for everything that happens to you Everything you do in response, everything that you do to other people, everything. Because when you own all of it, you are the boss. You don't have to ask permission. You don't have to get lost in analysis paralysis and making up your mind, do I want it? Because you know, we all know people that can't even decide or don't even know who the hell they really are. If you're the CEO of your entire life, it's all up to you. And that's a beautiful thing. Around 10 years ago, I sent her a random message on LinkedIn and Toniel Miller, AKA Tony, responded and she's been in my life ever since. Her, her entire line of work is analyzing human beings in a company, looking at the culture and finding win-win solutions for everyone involved. And yes, she does really dope things in the corporate world, but since she's basically a family member to me at this point, we're gonna focus on how her line of work, her psychological background, her analysis on people can help anyone be an above average Joe when it comes to the relationships they keep in their lives. Because let's face it, no one exists in a vacuum and every successful person knows that the majority of their success came from being surrounded by positive, forward thinking, encouraging people. And if you don't have those people in your life today, don't worry, we're gonna give you the tips to not only set boundaries so you cut the BS out of your life, identify what makes you truly happy so that you're able to move forward and go towards those positive relationships and zoom out to see how can I help others because that's the real magic sauce. You're gonna wanna take notes for this one. By the way, I have been posting visual episodes of the podcast on my YouTube channel. So if you wanna watch me wearing a very 90s outfit, uh, you know, that I stole from my mom's closet years ago, go to youtube.com slash Joe Franco and you'll be able to see Tony's vibrant face as well as me in my office, which is where I live anytime I'm not traveling. Kill the intro, sis. You know she's not your average Joe, not your average Joe. Yes, those are perfect. I I ran to get some water because I know we're gonna be talking for a long time. It's funny because when you meet someone uh, and you're a lot younger, you don't understand the true impact that they'll have on your life. But the truth is, when I met Tony, it was one of those stages where I really needed a fairy godmother. I really needed somebody to look me in the eye and say you're doing the right thing or just analyze me and and really take an interest in me and the relationship that i've nurtured with tony and that she's nurtured with me 
gives me hope in humanity it really does because you can go from being strangers one day then over time through consistency and genuine care you can build something that feels like a family member and that's beautiful because i always say there's more good than bad but this is a perfect example i really miss your face i know i miss yours too even though i get to see yours a little bit more when i watch netflix and stuff so <laughs> which is so weird it's not the same i feel like every single conversation we've had for the last decade has been podcast worthy yep but i really wanted to introduce everyone to you because you've been such a huge anchor in my life behind the scenes through all of the stages i want to just kind of talk about the the bond that we share how it even started New York. Yeah, and you know, I can I can mute my speakers if you want. <laughs> oh my god, no, I kind of like it. It's the ambiance. So Tony okay. lives in New York in, in Manhattan. City. Let's make this super casual. I would love to hear how have these last 10 years been having me in your life? And then I'll tell you how it's been for me. What a question. I didn't come prepared to answer this one. <laughs> um, well, I would say the last 10 years, um, you have been the way I describe you, besides all kinds of other wonderful adjectives, but the way I describe you to like my mother or anyone I tell about you is, of course, I first explain, at least at a high level, your story, right? Like where you come from and how much you've overcome and all that. And obviously that's just part of your amazingness. But what you mean to me specifically beyond all that is I feel like you are the closest thing I have ever had or ever would have to a daughter, if you can imagine that. Um, I don't plan to have my own kids, and I feel like if I ever did, I would want one just like you, and that's impossible. Um, but you, you just, um, from the, it's weird because I knew you back when, right? Like not when you were like five, but I mean, I knew you before everything really took off, and you are the same exact person. I mean, you are such an amazing um, actualized version of that person at this point, but you are the same. You haven't changed. You're not, like your head isn't too big and you haven't totally changed your personality and you know just sold yourself or sold your soul out. And I really admire that because um, I know it's not easy. It can't be easy, but you have been just this amazing inspiration slash butterfly to me. Tony, stop. <laughs> I wish I would have written a whole thing down if I would have known I was answering that question. No, but this is why it's good. I, I feel like with this podcast, it's especially when I invite people who are very close to me, it's such a, a really beautiful opportunity to be like, okay, let's talk about our relationship. I had a conversation with my sister. It's like you grow up your whole life together and you never actually talk about what does this relationship mean to you? Uh, so I guess my turn to answer my own question. So one of the most amazing things about you is that you you were always willing from the very beginning, you were willing to answer my LinkedIn message <laughs> that I sent, you know, out of the blue, just like, hey, I would love to have you as a mentor. Can we meet for a cup of coffee? And I was dead broke. And it's funny because you were mentioning, you were like, Last year, I think you said, Joe, you're now the age I was when I met you. Yeah. Which means that it had been a full like decade, which is insane. Mm -hmm. Because now thinking if someone messaged me on LinkedIn asking me what I asked you, it's just like a wild perspective mm -hmm. to think about that. So anyways, I, I just want to commend you for answering my message, for taking me out to coffee. And the fact that, you know, we've kept in touch all of these years you were at my graduation. You see me as a daughter. I see you as my fairy godmother. It's like whenever I need someone to care, it's when you ping me. And I'm like, damn it, how does she know? Like every time. And it's funny because I try not to stalk you because I'd be picking you a lot more often. But I know you're 
juggling so much. So I try to like get in there now and then without, you know, overwhelming you, but I'm glad to hear that. But it's always in the right time. And I almost wish we kept in touch more. It's like when I start traveling, it gets crazy. But the minute I'm back in New York, I'm like, Tony, Tony, Tony. So the friendship to me has been beautiful. And I'll never forget one time we were out to dinner and uh, someone your friend was dating. Do you remember that guy? I forgot that guy. I forgot his name, but he said, whatever bond you two have, keep that forever because it's very special. God, who was that? Yeah, I remember that conversation. I can't remember who it was, though. It was it was Angela's boyfriend. Oh, right. Yes, it was my birthday dinner. Angela came to town. You were there. We were at Budokan. Yes. <laughs> and we were just ourselves, you know? And yep. I just love the evolution, too, of from the beginning of me being like, hey, can you be my mentor? To then us just becoming friends, and now, and now you're family. my mentor, <laughs> and now now we're family. Now we're really family. It's like you know, I could be your emergency contact if you ever need anything. Yeah. I'm there, and I know I could trust you to do the same. Tonila and I met around ten years ago. It was the beginning of my New York City chapter, and I was an eager beaver wanting to connect with anyone who could fill me in on how to hack life. Right, I didn't have much money, but what I did have was curiosity, and I didn't really know how much that was worth which I'm now discovering as I get older, that curiosity is one thing that everybody should nurture and develop because it's more valuable than money most times. And it can turn into lots of money as well. Bottom line is that I was super lucky because on the other end of a cold message that I sent on LinkedIn was Tonil, who happened to be one of the kindest, most self-aware and knowledge hungry people that I could have ever met. She's since become a sister to me, uh, an advisor to me, and she's that person that texts me just when I think everything is awful. So it was the kind of situation that went from mentorship to friendship to sisterhood, and I am grateful. This is the foundation of the Tony and Joe. Also, I love that our names are both masculine. Both boy names. <laughs> Tony and Joe. Yeah, that's always great in New York bars. It's like, what are your names? Tony and Joe. But I want to get into the concept of relationships because you've built your whole world around relationships your career has always been around relationship building what has your path been and explain what you do in your life i feel like what you've done in your life professionally has always made you so so sharp with relationship skills and listening and all the good things that make our relationship last mm -hmm. It's an interesting question. I mean, one of the things that I would say is actually the one mentor that I've ever had in my life, I didn't meet him until I was exactly 20. It was on my birthday. And um, it was when I was back home in Minnesota. And he taught me, he was one of those old school, you know, old white guys, but really a good guy. He's, he's done amazing things for me. He's been like a father to me. And, you know, he had a lot of those really interesting, like Stephen Covey kind of, you know, pieces of advice that I didn't know at that point in time. And some people think it's hokey, but I actually think it actually resonates even today. And, you know, he said things to me like, you know, always ask questions, ask everybody for every question someone asks you. And you've taught me this too, Joe. I mean, like you and I have both shared this because I know you do the same thing, but you know, he always said, make sure you're asking people questions, ask them all the time. And it's so funny because you and I joke about how many times we would either have been on a date or we're in a, maybe not a job interview, but we're in a date or we're with a new friend or with somebody and they don't ever ask anything about us. And it's not that we need them to, but it's kind of like, 
how can you be in a dialogue or a conversation to build a relationship if the other person isn't even listening or asking questions and kind of being on that same level playing field with you? So I think questions are insanely important, not just because it's a, it's a way into the conversation, it's a way to steer the conversation, but it's also a way to show someone's interest in you. And again, kind of steering that conversation when you need to, questions are a really good tool for that. Just focus on other people, right? Don't focus on your own self. And I totally believe this, whether you're in a situation where you're nervous to give a speech or you're afraid to ask for this, or you're um, feeling down or anything when you kind of get in your own head and it's all about you and you're just, it's not a good thing for you, get yourself out of your own head, go volunteer, go think about someone else, go do something for someone else, find a way to serve someone else. And so I kind of approach my life like that in general all the time where it's like, I'm always thinking, what does this person need? What can I do to serve this person? And again, you need to have boundaries with that because there's a point where the people pleaser in me from Minnesota, it goes too far sometimes where I'm just like feeling like I'm giving too much, you know, and I don't have my boundaries intact. That's not a good thing either. But I think a lot of it is just always approaching conversations in the world with curiosity about other people and just wanting to know what, how do they work? What is, there's at least one interesting fact about every single person. I don't care who they are. There's at least one thing that you can learn from everybody. So kind of just approaching people in that way. And then like the ongoing relationships, um, I don't know. I think part of it is because my family has been very small and they haven't always, just my blood relatives have not always really been there for me. And so I think from a very young age, I just learned to try to kind of find my family outside of my family. So whether that's friends, whether that's colleagues, whether that's someone I volunteer with or people that are, don't even know I'm alive, like my gurus, you know, famous people that I, I pretend I'm friends with, you know, like Charlie Theron or something. I've, we're friends in my mind. Um, you know, it's like always just focusing on other people, I think has been a, a real good tool as well. Not your average Joe tip number one of many in this episode, focus on other people. I learned this through observing really charismatic people. And what I found is that they usually defer attention away from themselves. So next time you're around somebody that seems to light up the room, take close note on what they're doing because that's all strategy. Maybe they're not even aware they're doing it, but I guarantee you they're making other people feel great. And the good news is that when you're nervous or anxious and overall crippling yourself with anxiety, you can remember that it's not about you and you can turn it on others. Why do you always think I'm asking questions, y'all? I feel like building the muscle of asking good questions is something that will get you very far in life, no matter who you are, what line of work you do, because not many people are overtly curious. Plus, I found that it's like a muscle. The, the, the more I do it, the better I get at it. Like flash forward to Joe Club having over 700 journaling prompts, which are questions I literally pulled out of nowhere. And not your average Joe, tip number two, finding your chosen family is key. Maybe your family doesn't give you that love and support that you need, or maybe they do, but that's not to say that you don't have room for more people in your social circle. So when you find those people that you have a strong affinity to, reach out to them, be consistent, check in, and make sure you water that plant that relationship plant before it's crispy and dehydrated because that's the key to relationship building it's proactive not reactive that concept of a chosen family is yeah. so 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 important because i think it depends on what cultures you're from as well because growing up in the brazilian culture like i was kind of born to be programmed in this ecosystem of cousins and aunts and uncles and everything was supposed to be family-driven, and that's how it was when we were in Brazil. And that's how it would have still been had we never left. But then you take 
you know, a small sample size of that, which was my mom, brother, sister, and I, and you drop us into Connecticut where, you know, some people have family values, but we just had such a small family that it was similar for me that I was always on the lookout for that family feeling, for, like, that community feeling. And I think as you get older, do you think it gets harder or or easier? Because it depends. There's so many variables. It's hard to answer this in a blanket statement. But, like, for instance, when we lived in New York together, when I was living in New York, we would see each other at least once a month, probably oh, yeah. more, every other week or whatever. And then, you know, life happens. People move. So it gets a little bit more challenging. The cool thing now that I can say with confidence, and I knew this throughout the decade, but definitely now it's like it doesn't matter how, how much time has passed with you, that it's family. We've locked in the family relationship. But do you, what do you think about that? Is it easier or harder to look for that chosen family the older you get and the more complex life gets? I think there's a couple ways I would answer this question. Um, on one hand, I'm kind of experiencing this right now where, you know, in the last two years, all every single one of my friends, except maybe one person, has moved out of the city. So physical friends, I'm kind of in that boat where it's like, wow. And it's, you know, we've been in a pandemic, so it's been hard to like go out and just meet random new friends like we used to in person. But I've stayed in very close contact with um, everybody virtually. And so I would say that I bring that up as one data point. So I think that there's, you can still get way, you know, find ways around that. Um, I have heard from a lot of people that they do think it's harder to make friends as you and kind of build those really deep relationships as you get older. But I would actually argue it's not necessarily because number one, as you get older, you know yourself better. You know what you want, what your boundaries are, what you will will and will not put up with, kind of what you're looking for in other people. If you've done the work on yourself, then you can you know more of that about yourself. And again, if you've done the work on yourself, you have more to offer other people because you're hopefully outside of your own ego enough to where your focus is more on people. And to be honest, that's what we're supposed to be doing as we get older is being more outward focused and transcending our internal ego and selfishness and whatever, and actually focusing more on people. So I think it could actually be a lot easier as you get older, but that's if you're not that kind of like old curmudgeon person who's like, I'm in my daily routine in the suburbs watching TV every day and I don't want to ever get curious or learn about other people. And so that is one thing that does fade a lot if you're not cultivating the curiosity. So I think I'm not answering your question directly, but I think there's a lot of different ways you could go with that one. Not your average Joe. Tip number three, some argue that it gets harder to maintain great friendships the older you get. But Tony's thoughts are that the older you get, if you do the work to get to know yourself, you'll be able to not only cultivate better friendships, but offer more value to those bonds. What a twist. I'm curious, what do you think? Follow the Not Your Average Joe pod Instagram and leave me a comment. I'm reading everything. Obviously, there are no comments in the podcast, but we can comment over there. And I want to know, do you think it's getting easier to build better relationships or harder? And if it's getting harder, how do we hack the system? So a few things. I want to point out over these last 10 years, I've learned so much with you just in regular conversation, whether it was about work things or dating or whatever. And one constant thread has been your theory on data points mm -hmm. and how to observe people and behavior and kind of plot them on a chart. Not saying that you're just going to, you know, shut someone down because they said one wrong thing. But I got into a conversation with a friend a few months ago about data points. And I'm like, yeah, everything that we do contributes to this data sheet. Mm -hmm. And every action becomes a data point. And that gives you an, uh, more of like an analytical glance at who this person is. Can you talk about that? Because I learned that from you 100%. 
Yeah, and I love that you bring that caveat up because, and I and I had that mindset because I started out as a researcher. So again, I'm kind of approaching things with that like experimental data point collection mindset. But I would say you don't want to take that too far because people are not data like they're people, right? And so, but it kind of goes along that saying of. I think Oprah said this, but like, or Maya Angelou said, like, people will show you who they are, and we teach people how to treat us, so it goes both ways. And so when I say data points, I think, like, it's kind of that experimental, curious mindset, right? So, for example, let's say we'll bring a friendship into it, right? So let's say you have a friend, and they always stand you up, or they always do X, Y, or Z. Yeah, they do it once or twice. Hey, you know, not a big deal, obviously, a couple times, whatever. But, like, those are all data points. And so when they keep doing it over and over... If you keep expecting a different result, then you're the fool, not them. And so I think the data points, it's a fine line of you keep it kind of going in the back of your mind about people or situations or things. And personally, I love when I'm proven wrong. I love when I'm like, oh, I think this person is this way or this situation is that way. And all of a sudden, and I had this happen recently um, with a client and I had my mind blown and I loved it because I'm like, oh my God, all my data points are wrong. I'm throwing them out the window. And then it makes the data points even more um, valid because the more that you kind of keep that mind, that curiosity mindset, like, hey, I know five out of 10 times this happens, but what if it's one of those other five times? And then you get pleasantly surprised. And so it's kind of a long-winded answer, but I just think of it as kind of like a way to organize um, just things and the way you think about people and the way that they show up and that sort of thing without boxing them in too much so that you're typecasting them and then kind of pulling out the same result that you're expecting, if that makes sense. So it's essentially like you're a scientist in human behavior and you're constantly building hypotheses that you hope mm -hmm. are proven wrong so that you come to a new conclusion. So it's like kind optimistic yeah. scientific analysis. Yeah. And I'm the same. I always say, please prove me wrong. However... Here's what I know so far. Like, here are the facts. The data isn't lining up very well for you, but yeah. you never know. There's that one chance. Right, right. And then another thing that you've taught me over the years, I mean, shoot, this is like only an hour conversation because otherwise it, it would be like a 10, 10 hour special. But something that I am really inspired by you is how you set boundaries and specifically how you're unwilling to abandon things that you know make you feel good. And that has always been in the back of my mind. Maybe we had a conversation like this, or maybe I'm making this up because it's been so much, so much time. But I think a few years ago, we were talking about how I was like, Tony, isn't it funny that we all have our few things that we do or we talk yes. about? And you were like, you know, we all have our things. And when it comes to feeling good, I like to think about my top whatever four or five things that I need to do to make myself feel better. And in this conversation that we were having, I'm pretty sure we came up with this recipe, essentially, of like when you're in a funk you already know these are the five things that you need to do to get yourself back to your full happiness. And these activities are independent of anyone else. Mm -hmm. So for you, it's like your morning walks yeah. and you eat super healthy and yeah. you always are going out with friends or going out on dates. So where did that come from? How did you learn that? Really good question. And what I would say is I was not always a, what my, one of my favorite psychologists, her name is Terry Cole. She's called the boundary boss. She has a podcast. She has a book, get it, read it. If you haven't, she's phenomenal. Um, I was not until in the last couple of years, a good boundary person. I was, like I said, I was that people pleaser from Minnesota and I'm a woman and my mom is like over the top that way. So like, it was not okay to not be a people pleaser for most of my life when I was younger. And I think for me, moving to New York, and then also just realizing how getting getting proven right or yeah getting proven my data points being proven right over and over and over when i kind of 
didn't do those few things that keep me grounded and happy, um, I was like, this isn't worth it. So for example, I used to go home when I, I mean, I've lived here for over 10 years now. I used to go back to Minnesota probably four times a year to see my family. I paid for the trip, not a big deal. And you know, again, I love seeing them, but it was more like I was doing it for them and that's totally fine. But I realized every time it would just drain me so much. And I started thinking, why am I doing this? And you know, there's always a balance and only you know what works for you. But I think the number one thing, and this is one of my main lessons that I've learned is, whether it's boundaries or other things, you need to know thyself. The most important rule I could ever tell anybody to do in their life, if there's nothing else they do, is know exactly who you are. And that comes through, as you know, Joe, I know you've done this a lot recently, but journaling, reflection, solitude, reading, thinking about all these things, thinking about data points, thinking about, and just know, like observe yourself. Get really, really good at knowing who you are, what you need to be happy, and what doesn't, what you're, um, boundaries are what your wounds are what your shadow is all those things you need to know that stuff in and out and that's the beauty of getting older because you start seeing patterns in yourself or how certain things will trigger you or whatever and once you know those things then you can come up with plans or things or activities like we said that we know gets us back to where we need to be so I have lots of routines I have automated so much of my my life and uh, the important things anyways that it's like I know I want to do these three things well then I need to have an automate automation plan to make sure that happens and we can talk more about that later if you want but um, everything from achieving goals to you know getting through my morning routine to having energy to doing this and that it's like I just somehow I think along the way you know because I do have some years on you I think along the way I just realize okay if I do these five things every day I'm unstoppable. Not your average Joe. Tip number four, I couldn't have said it best. The not average Joe knows that it's critical to know thyself. This is the longest relationship you'll ever maintain. Have you thought about that? From the minute you open your eyes at birth to the moment that you're laying in your last resting place, the relationship that will have lasted the longest is the one with you, boo-boo. So what are you doing to get to know you, the real MVP? Because the more you know yourself, the easier it is to set boundaries and to prioritize your dreams and your ambitions and your tasks so you can finally design your life instead of just following hypes of things that you probably don't even want, but you don't know you don't want those things because you haven't even asked yourself what the hell you want. This is why I journal. If you'd like to join Joe Club, we're having a meeting this week. Really fun meeting coming up. Rereading our old selves through our old journals. Click in the show notes below to find out more. After the break, we talk about how to keep your word, not only to yourself, but to others. And how do you automate your life and start really crafting the person that you want to become one habit at a time. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at uh1.com. 
first thing is you want to like simplify and streamline and automate everything that you can, right? So think about like certain unimportant decisions because there's a term called um, cognitive load, right? And so that's like how much energy we spend deciding about something or making a decision or analyzing this or thinking about that, which women do a lot of this whole back and forth. I don't know. I don't know. No. We need to stop that. And so to, to save on that cognitive load so we can actually employ those cognitive skills elsewhere on important decisions and important things that we have to think about, we want to automate everything that we can. And so that means like for me, for example, um, every day, this may not sound like that much fun, but it works for me, is I've gotten to a point where my breakfast is the same every day, my lunch and dinner. I mean, I can change it, but for the most part, when I'm doing my my typical routine, I just keep it simple. Everything, I have like, the same stuff every day, it's stuff I like, it's stuff that gives me the nutrients I need, I'm done, right? I don't have to think about it, I don't have to decide, do I want a donut or not? No, I don't have to think about that because I, I already know that I'm gonna have my green juice. Things like that. Um, Steve Jobs and Obama are actually two examples of this, and I do this too, to a fault actually, where um, you know Steve Jobs basically wore the same outfit every day. You know, the black turtleneck, the jeans. Obama actually has like, I think, I don't know, 20 or 30 blue suits, the same exact suit, wears the same thing every day, maybe a different tie. But they do that because they want to reduce the cognitive load and the decision-making because motivation is only so large of a muscle. And so that comes down to everything from if you're trying to go on a diet and eat better, you're trying to just have more energy for your day at work or any other things automate all those simple decisions and simple things and to your point earlier your finances automate your finances all these different things that you don't actually need to be making that decision every day get it like so it's automatic so you don't have to even think about it so there's that piece um, and I think the other piece that goes with that is just having those habits and routines right I've got my certain routines every morning I kind of outlined a little bit of what that looks like and those things are what ground me, number one, but they also, like, let's say I'm not feeling well one day. For better or worse, I still do those same things every day. I still do the workout, even with a headache. I still do this, even when I'm not feeling good. And I'm not saying people should do that necessarily, but the good news is I do it because I know I feel amazing afterwards. So even if I start out feeling like crap, I know that by the time I'm done with the workout, I'm done with the sauna, I'm done with the things that I do, I'm going to feel amazing. So it's worth it to actually go through it. So that's an automation thing. Um, I think the other thing is, you know, I, I'm a major minimalist, Joe, as you know, and so for me, it works to have not a lot of stuff, you know, I have the important stuff and I have things that I love, but I don't have a lot of extra stuff. And that means, um, when it comes to drama and things like that with friends, I have pretty easy breezy relationships. If things get too dramatic and annoying in that way, I kind of, I don't peace out, but I kind of just say, Hey, you know what? This isn't really serving me right now. I'm not a big fan of the drama. When you're ready to kind of have an adult relationship, you know, give me a call or whatever. And it, it may sound heartless, but again, that's a boundary that I set because I know that when I have my life in kind of a streamlined, nice, minimalistic way, it doesn't stress me out and I get so much more done and I just, I feel happier. But there's a balance with that because I think that sometimes I veer too far on the side of that and maybe I'm not making as much time for relationships as I need to with certain people because maybe they're not serving me that well. So it's always a balance and you have to know yourself as far as like where you should be on that scale. Does that make sense or? No, that's amazing. You've inspired me to truly carve out a morning routine and a night routine. I yeah. I feel like I've done more or less the same things for a long time in my life, but it's it's scattered and actually since being home for a week and I'm in a, in a controlled environment, I downloaded habit trackers and I have these things that I want to do every day. And these things are eat vegetables, write something, read uh, something, walk and or run uh yeah. and create something like if i can do those yeah. six things every day i'm happy but what i'm finding is that 
I haven't actually made it a process yet. So some days I don't do two things or some yeah. days I don't do three things because I don't have, I haven't like sat with myself and carved out. I do this first, then I do this, then I do this. And I think that's yeah. the best way to do it. Cause then you just know it's like a sequence. And like when you do the first thing, you trigger the sequence. And you're, you're hitting on something that I was actually going to bring up, which is really powerful too. And again, this is really good if it's something that you don't already do, but you want to do or not. And that would be habit, um, what do they call it? Habit stacking. So let's say, for example, to that exact point, let's say that you want to be drinking more water or walking more. And it's kind of like, well, I already have a habit of fixing a cup of coffee in the morning. Well, maybe before you have that coffee, now you always have to drink a whole glass of water first or something like that. Or if you like to, if you want to get a workout in, but you like watching this certain TV show, make sure that you are on that treadmill while you're watching that show. So really habit stacking. And this comes from like the behavioral science piece and some of that, um, like the nudging and creating your crafting your environment to produce the results that you want to see. So that can be really powerful. Which is another thing that I do too. Uh, one thing that I missed on the things I want to do every day. Again, I just started this new thing and I think it's possible. I'm still tweaking it though. It's learn something uh, and learn something to me means like 30 minutes of a language lesson, like an audio thing or a podcast. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm stacking that with working out. So if I, and I've done this for a long time That's without great. knowing it, it's like I'm running on the treadmill yep. and I'm listening to my Greek lesson. And I'm like, when I'm done in 30 minutes, I'm, I'm feeling like a superhero because I just yep. check two things that seemingly feel like heavy lifting. That's just like a part of my evening routine. Mm -hmm. But it really is a good, good exactly. thing to outline all of these habits and, and make it habitual. It's, it, it's like eating your fruits and veggies though. It's kind of bland, no? Well, and that's what it, it can be, but here's what I'll say. I mean, I, we could talk for hours about this, but I have made it an art and a science, I think, of going from, if you want to just give that example of like eating fruits and vegetables versus eating junk food. So I think I, you know this, I grew up eating all the junk food in the world, never worked out, never healthy. And then when I started my first job out of college, I was a health researcher and it just scared me straight. And so from there, I gradually migrated those habits of eating sweet stuff. I migrated that to eating fruit instead. And instead of eating chips, I would migrate that to eating vegetables. And yes, on its own at first, it can be daunting. And that is why you need to employ some of these tactics like habit stacking and setting up your environment to, offer, to automate what you want to do. Because in the beginning, yeah, it's not that fun. And that's where people think, oh, it's all about motivation. All of us, motivation is a very limited muscle. So even if you like the broccoli the first day, you're not going to like the broccoli on the fourth day. You're going to be sick of it. But what you have to do is make sure that you, and this is comes where it comes to knowing yourself really well too. What are those five habits that you really know you need to do? What are those five habits that are going to lead, are going to be what I call lead measures? They're like five things that are going to move the needle and make your life exactly what you want it to be. And even if they're not fun and they're daunting, if you're committed to them and you have a compelling why of why you're doing it, not just I want to look cute in a bikini, but I want to be healthy. I want to be able to chase my nephew around. I want to, you know, like really the intrinsic motivators that'll keep you sustainably doing those behaviors, even when they are not that exciting, even when they don't taste that good. That's first. And then you automate them and stack them so that eventually that's where the habit and the ritual comes in, right? Because once you do it enough times, like for me, like I said, Every single day. I don't care if I feel like crap. I don't care if I didn't sleep the night before. I don't care. I don't. I, it's not even a discussion. I'm working out. That's the first thing I do in the morning. I don't even care. This has been going on for like 15 years. And so you have to get to a point where it's a habit, however you get there with those tactics. And then it doesn't matter if it tastes good or not. It doesn't matter if it's fun or not. If you know it's going to help you, that's what's going to keep you doing it. So good. There's, there's no way to do it without the work. 
You got to do the work. I mean, that's the sad part, but it's it, but it pays off because, for example, I bring up the, the example about the food is because now I don't even crave sugar. I haven't had sugar in so long. I don't even crave it because I have healthier stuff instead. And your body, you just adapt. Your psych, your psyche adapts. Your taste buds adapt. Your body adapts. Everything does. But it's you have to kickstart it. As the sirens go off. I know, right? Like you do have to kickstart it. <laughs> yeah, so... you have to kickstart it, and you have to keep it going because it doesn't become automatic overnight. So you got to keep that going. I I'm gonna report back on my morning and night routine. I'm I have to develop it and like something that can translate when I'm traveling too because that's another yes. piece of the layer of the conversation. Yep, and you always are tweaking it. That's why I always say life is like an experiment, right? So so run some experiments. You know, you try some of the the, the five things that you like today, and that's your thing, and you realize, oh, I don't really like that fourth mm-hmm. thing, but I want to do these other two things, and then you kind of iterate and update, and then as you learn more about this or that, you're like, oh, I realize that if I do this one thing over here, I can kick out those three things or whatever that might be. So just treating your life as a, that experiment, it's really fun too. What are your things? Because I know that when we talked last, you I think journaling was one of them, but I don't remember what the other ones were. You're oh my god, you're amazing, Tony. <laughs> I, I love you just so much. Uh, I love you too. So my my things, and I I love the concept of like know thyself, and that's a lot lifelong relationship, right? This this conversation is definitely going to be how to build strong relationships, and that includes with yourself. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking about this recently that in order to build that muscle, you have to get good at, about removing yourself and observing yourself like an outsider. And that's a really fun activity. And that's what I do when I'm journaling always. Mm-hmm. Because then do you, you write in a third it. person in your journal. I write in, like, in the she first saw person. This guy. Okay. That's hilarious. Do you? I do at times, actually. Yeah, I do. Wow. That's a cool it, brain yeah. exercise. It is because it does put you in the balcony view, looking down at yourself, observing how you are reacting and thinking through this. And you know how journaling is so powerful, right? Where you're, let's say you're, you're having a day where you're like, I'm so stressed and I just can't, I have to get it out. And you know that through the course of journaling, it comes out and then the deeper levels of it come out. And you can also do that by writing in the third person sometimes. That's so powerful. Uh, speaking of journaling, yesterday I was I was kind of I'm in this moment right now where I'm making a decision for what's next and how do, how should I feel about certain things, and I pulled a random journal off my shelf and it happened to be from ten years ago when I studied abroad, and I swear to you, not only was it enjoyable to read because it was funny and like all of the stuff happened that I forgot happened, but I was looking for an answer, an answer I have already written ten years ago, and I opened it and immediately I got the answer, and the sentence that I pulled was. I'm tired of trying so hard for something that should be natural. And I'm like, yep, that's all I needed to read. Puts the journal back on the shelf. And it's one of those aha moments where we, if we're aware that we can jot these things down, we can heal ourselves. Like we can, we can coach ourselves through these activities such as journaling or really great conversations. I find our conversations have always been grounding and great for my orientation of just what it is I want because when you're speaking to somebody who's a good listener and who you know genuinely cares about you, it's like a mirror looking back at you. And yeah. these long relationships, like you've seen my ups and downs, you've seen my relationships come and go, you've seen my career wins and, and lack thereof. So when I tell you something, this isn't just, I'm not just saying it to a random person. It's like you, you've collected data points on me yep. and you've yep. seen when I'm happy. So when you speak to me about whatever I'm going through, you know, maybe I agree with it, maybe I don't, but it's still so good for me because it's, and usually I agree with it, but you know, the, the point is one of my grounding activities is having 
these relationships and having conversations with people like you that I know really care for me. So journaling, really good conversations, working out, absolutely. I need, I need that. And it's something that I've learned, you know, in the last six, seven years that if I do not work out or run or do something physical, I'm not great. Mm -hmm. Learning is another huge thing for me with language or with financial literacy. It's like my brain needs to feel like it's growing in some way because it keeps my excitement for life open. Because when you start learning something new, you're like, there's so much I don't know. How exciting. So So I love learning languages specifically for that, but other things too. And then the last thing I would say is like having that sense of community, whether that's family or being involved in some like clubs or going, going to school or, you know, I've recently done workshops and retreats and that was, that was like creme de la creme for me. I'm like, Oh my God, I forgot how good this is. I want to hear more about that by the way, because I haven't heard the download on how those went. It was so freaking good, but it's one of those things that as I got older, you start getting hints. Like I started getting a little bit here and there like, Oh yeah, this feels good when I do this. Now I'm like, I know this is, this is what's missing. What about you? For you, it's walking. Super. I have a crazy, like, it's almost to a point where it's maybe too crazy, but I don't care because it works. But so I have a major morning routine. Um, I have, like, you know, espresso, shot of espresso, got to do the green juice, got to do the workout in the morning for sure. Otherwise, I'm not a human. I do a sauna a lot. That's been a newer development for me, and that has helped a lot because it relieves stress while it energizes, if that makes sense. Um, lots of walks, lots of movement, um, going to bed early. That is something I've really, I've kind of always been an early person, but like during the pandemic, I have literally kind of like been in line with the circadian rhythms because we could and whatever. And I'm kind of sticking with it. Like literally when it's dark, I'm about to go to bed. So maybe not like seven or eight, but like nine or 10, I'm in bed for sure. No question. So those are like some of the big things. And then journaling when I need to, um, and lots of learning. I mean, I'm one of those big nerds who, since I'm not in school, um, I make life my school, first of all, every day. And then also I'm, as you know, I'm like on Spotify all the time, listening to your podcast and all these other ones. So I, and then I'm always like, not just listening to it, but I'm already codifying everything I learn every day. So maybe depending on what I'm learning, I'll listen to several different podcasts all day long. I'll be taking notes. I'll be like typing them into kind of my playbook. I have several of these playbooks, ones for work, ones for other things, ones for life, whatever. And just like, I think these should be books at some point in time because I've just taken so much amazing knowledge from other people who are such great thinkers and put it all into one place. So that, those are some of my things. Tony's playbooks. <laughs> amazing. <laughs> Maybe someday. You never know. So this is all very innate. This is not something you learn to do right like once you graduate school of any sort you get thrown into the world and you have to to kind of fend for yourself in the knowledge world Mm -hmm. I think now we have so many resources because podcasting is so big and you know we have influencers that talk about books they've read and you have Instagram accounts that are just sharing these quotes of wisdom so now more than ever you can get input to smart and you know interesting schools of thought But the activity that you have, and you're right, like you're the one who's DMing me or messaging me (laughs) TED Talks and books that I should read and podcast episodes. And I'm like, damn, where does the woman find the time? But it's funny. Now I've become that person, too. Yeah. Well, it's funny, too, because like I sit there and some of my friends are like, 
do you even have a job? Because like, how do you have time to listen to all these podcasts? And I'm like, well, because that's what I do when I go on walks. And that's why I like podcasts. I mean, I love books, but podcasts are easier for me and like books on, on audio or whatever, because then I can do multitasking. I can cook dinner while I'm listening. I can walk. I can, you know, all the things. So that's one way to do it too. Not your average Joe. Tip number five, in order to build a better relationship with yourself, you should write down what kind of person you want to be and identify what habits that person would have. We all have 24 hours in a day, but the not average Joe finds creative ways to make time for two things at once. With habit pairing, for instance, it's one of my favorite concepts. Like I usually run on the treadmill while learning a language, or I walk and inform myself about what's going on in the world with a podcast, or I cook and catch up with an old friend. Because when you make your list of things to do, you realize you don't have enough time. So you gotta get creative and do two things at once. And in fact, it might even make both activities more enjoyable. Because you know I'm only running like 10 minutes on the treadmill <laughs> unless I have a 30 minute language lesson on. And that's a hack for me. Do you find that it's information overload at times? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. And I didn't think there was such a thing because I, like you, am someone who can't stand if I'm not learning and growing new things every day. But there are a lot of days where I find myself like, because I listen to so much of it, it's so much input, I'm processing so much, and I, I, we didn't have this problem back in the day, right? So probably like 15, 20 plus years ago, we never had info overload because there wasn't crazy amounts of podcasts, there wasn't iPhones, like now, all of us are having info um, overload, and I, I do, I find that I'm like, at the end of the day, I actually crave watching something really stupid, like a Hallmark movie, which I never cared about. I'm not a TV person, but I just like, I'm so brain dead at the end of the day. I need to do something to just like not think. Maybe reading a Star Magazine or something helps. I don't know. <laughs> a Star Magazine. We all have our vices. We all do. Yes. So it's work. The bottom line is that this input, yeah. it is work. Like when someone says, oh, do you work on yourself? Let's break that down a little bit because I want it to be as easy to understand. Even for someone like me, I find that the the sentence, oh, I work on myself or you need to work on yourself. I only started hearing that like three years ago. Hmm. Meanwhile, I've been doing this quote unquote work just in my life because of journaling and because of who I am and having conversations with you and other people that are really just great at thinking and zooming out. Mm -hmm. If somebody didn't know what doing the work on themselves was, how would you define it? Coming from what you do, which we need to get into your your career background as well, because all of it ties together. This isn't just someone random talking about this. This is what you do for a living, and yeah. you're an expert in the field of you know self development and people skills and leadership. Doing the work, I think it depends on you know where you are in life. If you're a college student, if you're a high school student, whatever. But I think there's some like random some principles that I think would apply again number one knowing yourself right we talked about that so, so reflecting journaling reading just just even just like listening to your inner voice right and if you don't know what that is then you really need to do the work for some people it's seeing a therapist or a coach that's helpful depending on who you are um, yeah those kinds of things or even another thing too and this doesn't matter what age you are but like writing prompts so I've recently had a good friend who's like kind of having a mid not a midlife quarter slash midlife crisis I'm like I don't know what I want to do with my life well whether you're in that moment or you're in any moment what I I used to do a lot of and it's helped me get to know myself early on and I would say anyone should do this is just google you can just google it and just look up like personality assessments and there's so many of them out there and just um vocational assessments and just understanding like who you are as a person right and and even stuff like your human design or your natal chart and I am the least hokey person ever. I was never into horoscopes. I'm a scientist by training. 
These things are legit, actually. A lot of these things are that I just mentioned and some other things. So just go out there and just take all kinds of assessments and just really get to know yourself and kind of, I would actually compile them like in a book, like a book of you, especially if you're younger, because as you get older, these things change a bit, but you'll start to see that they don't change that much. And they're, they kind of stay pretty steady and you'll be like, wow. So first of all, doing that kind of stuff is really key. Just all kinds of assessments, whatever. The other thing is, besides the journaling and just reflecting, I think even something as simple as talking to your friends and family and asking them, like, who am I? Like, Simon Sinek, who everybody knows, has one of the top TED Talks in the world. You know, he had that whole epiphany when he figured out that whole start with why and finding your why thing. And he literally asked a bunch of his friends to, you know, I don't know if it was in one room together, if it was separately, but he basically said, who am I at my best? Like, what is something about me that only, like, only I, it's only me who does this, or it's like, like, kind of trying to find out what's special about him, what differentiates him, when is he his best, that sort of thing, and he got all the different data points and answers from his friends, you could survey people, do a 360, whatever you want to do at work, fine, just finding out how you are perceived, and how you perceive the world, and things like that, and also just paying attention to things that, you know, as you're walking through your day or you're going, you're watching this, or you're talking, what kinds of things do you gravitate towards, right? What resonates with you? Like when I was, um, it was the very end of college and I wanted to go to law school and I didn't get in, blah, blah, blah. I spent this whole summer kind of like, oh my God, that's what I've always wanted to do. Now my life is over. What the heck am I going to do? And I basically said, well, you know, as a form of this, it's kind of like problem solving mode. I basically just went to bookstores and libraries for a month or two when I had time off in the summer and I said, what do I just naturally gravitate towards? What book section or what magazines or what things just really, where do I find myself over and over and over? What would I do if I didn't have to get paid or whatever? Ask those kinds of questions. And for me, it was psychology. I'm like, oh my God, that is it. But you know, so just kind of just paying attention to things like that. So I think those are really some great ways to start just like doing the work on yourself and, and just being open about it too and being willing to admit that you might find some things you don't like and that's important to embrace those things and understand them because again those are data points that's part of you now let's get into this whole line of work that you've developed with psychology i had no idea that you got into it because you had this two-month mm -hmm. break yeah and isn't it funny and maybe let's talk a little bit about this in those moments of nothingness is when you figure out what means everything to you it's like in those oh shit moments, what am I gonna do next? Mm -hmm. That's when you actually have the time to think about what the next pivot is. So, well, and the interesting thing, this is so ironic. So, okay, this is one other thing too I would tell people is that, you know, when you're younger, you, you know, when you're looking ahead on your life, a lot of things, especially the, the bad stuff that happens, it doesn't make sense in the moment, usually. Usually it doesn't, unless you are just so wise beyond your years, which, Joe, you are, but not many people are. Um, but when you start looking back, you're like, oh, now I know why that happened. Even the bad, and especially the bad stuff. And so this kind of gets into what one of my big takeaways here is, too. Think of your life as a classroom, right? Oprah says that. I totally agree with that, especially the tough stuff. You have to take a lesson if, or lessons from every situation, especially the hard stuff, because otherwise it happened for no reason. And so to that point that you brought up, yeah, I had always wanted to be a lawyer, and it was basically because, you know, in my little girl brain, growing up in a very, you know, blue-collar, poor family, very dysfunctional background, my thought is, I need to get out of here, number one. And number two, that means I need to find a way to make a lot of money. And what do I like to do? Well, naturally, I was my mom's mom and everyone else's mom. And so I was like, I want to do something where I'm kind of advising. I'm an expert. Like, that's all I knew. And I saw TV and I thought, oh, a lawyer. That's probably a good job for that. So it wasn't, so me wanting to be a lawyer wasn't really grounded in anything that real. Um, but that was the path I was on. Didn't get in, found psychology. And then looking back, 
now, oh, amazing, because I would have hated being a lawyer, first of all, now that I know what a lawyer's life is like. Um, second of all, the work that I do has shown that all the law jobs are being automated by robots, so wouldn't have had you know, job security, there's another thing. And also, um, psychology is something that intuitively comes to me, and I'm sure it does to you, as, I know it does come to you as well, and I know for me it comes to me because I grew up in that unsafe, kind of scary environment. And so I had to know moment to moment, I had to be able to read people, and I didn't know this when I was little, but looking back now, I realized so much of my innate psychological, I guess, strengths and interests comes from surviving my childhood. And that's a great thing, right? Looking back, you can use that gold nugget as, you know, things today. So to your point, now um, I have found a way to make psychology, the intersection of psychology and business, essentially my career, right? So I knew I didn't want to be a therapist because one thing I did know about myself, and again, paying attention to what you do like, what you don't like as you go through life is I hated when people would complain about certain things and not do anything about them, even when you change answers, not making any changes. And I understand therapists are wonderful and a lot of people need them for very serious issues. Totally get it. But there's a lot of therapists, and especially the ones that keep making money, because if they work themselves out of a job, they wouldn't have a job. So they don't work themselves out of a job. And people just come there and bitch on their couch and don't change anything. And for me, I would have to kill myself if that was my job. And so I thought, well, how can I bre- uh, uh, blend psychology and all those great things about maybe being a therapist and helping people? How can I blend that with making a very decent salary and making it not where people are complaining? Oh, Coaching, that's action oriented. So I did coaching for a while, loved it. And business coaching and business strategy and like the work that I do now is very much employee experience, culture, leadership, coaching. Um, Essentially companies bring me in and I work with the C-level and operationalize their business strategy with with and through their people and their organization. And we can talk about what that actually means, but essentially it's kind of bridging the gap, right? So when you hear about how these CEOs um, don't know how to like communicate with their millennial and Gen Z employees, et cetera. And the Gen Z and millennial employees are pissed and they're quitting in droves and we know the whole story. A lot of my work is coming in there and translating the differences so people understand that it's not one or the other, it's both and. There is a win-win. So I hope that kind of answers your question a little bit. I mean, what a fun job. I would, it's I awesome. love that. I always say, I'm like, if I didn't do what I do, I would do what you do. Like I would enjoy yeah. doing that because you're a scientist in human behavior and it's not just one type of person that we're talking about here. It's like from C-level executives to employee that just started at the company. Like how do you make a culture in and in, in a corporate environment work? Mm-hmm. Here's another thing that I always used to say when I, you remember I had like a million internships and a yeah. hundred jobs. Mm-hmm. And when I couldn't travel, I used to make the joke that when you start working at a new company, it's the closest thing to traveling because you're going into a new place that has a new culture and they all speak a new language Mm -hmm. and you're making your new friends and you're understanding the groups of people. And your job is to basically communicate how to make this ecosystem and this culture smooth and to get, you know, the highest percentage of happiness Mm-hmm. So you're basically putting presentations and teaching people how to not be jerks is is like the job. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny is that is one of the jobs. Right. So that would be like the leadership development and the executive coaching work that I do and some of the like um, presenting results. So, for example, let's say a client comes to me and says, oh, God, our culture is terrible. People are quitting like crazy. What do we do? Well, yeah. So part of the job then is like go in, um, partner with um 
people, I hate to call them people on the ground, but you know, the average employees and managers, people at all different levels, different geographies, that sort of thing, and find out from them what's really going on here. Because usually the, the leader is the problem, unfortunately. And so I will have to walk a very fine line because for me, I'm all about helping people and find the win-win and like doing good by doing well. So I wanna make everybody happy, but I'm getting paid from the leaders. So I need to find a way to, to your point, translate what people really want that they're afraid to say because the leader has created an environment where they can't say it and then helping the leader understand that when they do one two three behaviors or things they think it's not a big deal but it actually is a really big deal and so I always liken it to if you think about leaders and their employees I always liken it to parents and kids because the dynamic is very similar because there's an authoritative someone who's in charge whether it's your you know your livelihood or your paycheck or whatever there is a, a power dynamic happening there and so it's always you got to kind of like steer that a little bit and think of like if, if you're your kids you think that they're not listening to what you're saying or they don't observe what you're doing they're watching everything you don't think they are but they see it all and they soak it up for better or worse and so just the same way that we want to make sure we're good role models for our kids we need to do that as leaders, even though leaders, lots of times, as you know, like they come in and like, I'm a CEO, I'm not here to make people happy, I'm here to make the numbers. Well, guess what? In today's world, especially, you're here to make people happy. You're here to lead people because guess what? Who are they following? They're not gonna follow you if you're not leading like a leader. So I could talk for 18,000 hours about that kind of stuff, but it's a really fine line that I have to kind of walk in that translation exercise. And you've done this in global you know, capacities as well, right? Like I've known the jobs that you've had over time have become bigger and bigger and bigger. So that global translation, you've traveled all over the world and yeah. like really seen in your face cultural differences and mm -hmm. how to communicate with different cultures, which you know was my, that's my 18 yes, hour conversation. You'd be so good at doing this work, honestly, well, especially because you speak the language. That would give you so much street cred when you walk in the door versus the white lady who's walking in from the US trying to shove things down your throat like we always try to do. You know, I mean, I have to always overcome that, you know, but you would actually have the language. You'd be like, you'd be their buddy. They would totally trust you right away, which would be great. Oh man, this is like a backup career path and I have a mentor to guide me through. well. <laughs> you know, what I love is that it seems like you really carved such a niche for yourself. Not your average Joe, takeaway number six, and this applies to people both looking for jobs in the job market and entrepreneurs. It's that when you take time to get to know yourself, you start realizing your uniqueness. And your uniqueness is the exact gap that is missing in the market. For instance, for me, being multilingual and journaling and being goofy like that's my niche that's my gap but also talking about business and relationships and habits that's all me and as an entrepreneur i can build content around those things that are uniquely me because when you find my content you'll be like damn i've never seen this before and that's my thing and even though tony had worked in corporations she was able to do the same thing she found the intersection of psychology and entrepreneurship and leadership which is change management so not only is tony one of the best role models that i have as far as relationship building goes but she's turned it into a lucrative and abundant career so if you're feeling like your skills and passions aren't being used this is the episode that's going to get you starting to think about what is that gap that you can fill that only you can fill if somebody wants to do the work that you're doing what job title would they look for what is that job there are several that it could be and so i'll tell you some of the ones i've had right so some of them that i've had would be um a global vp of like employee experience leadership development people so but here's what i'd say let me back up for one second it's a title, but unfortunately, it's more than what the title is because it actually depends on the type of organization, 
the type of role. So for example, I've worked, I've spent a lot of my time in the large consulting firms and I was considered a, either a change manager and communications person, which means all the changes that a big firm or a company wants to make. So if it's implementing Salesforce or it's having an HR transfer, any kind of changes, which is basically all the time companies are doing tons of changes. A lot of my job would be coming in and saying, so let's figure out all the changes that are happening, all the different people that are impacted, how each group is impacted, build personas, very similar to marketing and customer experience, building personas and journey mapping on how those changes will impact them. And then finding ways to embed all the different, um, change levers and reinforcement things into the organization. This is very complicated, but like, so that's one example. So being a change manager is a very common title, especially in today's world, because everybody needs them with our crazy business world. So that's a really good window into it, a really good door into it. Um, you could also be like, if you're an IO psychologist, which I am, you could go in if you really prefer the data, the number crunching and being a researcher, you could actually go into a big firm and be like their data scientists from the people side, which would be really interesting because you're basically collecting all kinds of employee engagement data and the attrition and people leaving data and finding out how that ties to the things that are happening in the organization and then making changes to the organization based on that to make it better. Hopefully there's that. You could be a leadership development coach. You could be a tr sometimes a leadership development team, depending on, so I'm kind of like rattling off a lot of stuff here because being, using this skill set, you could do in a lot of different titles, but it's usually going to be like in HR or on the strategy team or something like that, if that makes sense. So if somebody has no interest in pursuing a career in that world, what are some human relationship lessons that you've learned that have nothing to do with corporate? Because really, you know, you could talk about this in the corporate sense of these job descriptions, but at the very base, when you boil it down, we're still talking about relationship building and maintaining relationships with everyone and basically trying to be as neutral and as diplomatic and solution oriented as possible. So what are maybe like three takeaways from the job that you do that you can apply in your life, regardless of if you go into this work? Great question. I love that you're making it very practical because, again, this could totally apply to people. In my work, I employ a lot of design principles thinking. I don't know if you, if your audience knows what that is, but it's very much how um, people use it in marketing and customer experience a lot. But it's basically, and it's like a human-centered design. So if you're designing like um, a new Facebook, a new app or a new something, it's very much approaching it not from the IT or the tech person's perspective, but you're approaching it from the person who's going to use it, like a user experience person. So you're, you're really thinking, you put yourself in their shoes very deeply. Um, so this is one of the first skills is you have to be able to put yourself in other people's shoes. And this is actually in life in general. Really, this is important. This is like whether you're taking that balcony objective view outside of yourself or you're putting yourself directly in someone else's shoes. You have to understand how they're thinking, what's important to them, what are their pain points, what uh, are the benefits of whatever you're asking them to do or even if you're not asking them to do something like why. What We call it the WIFM, the what's in it for me. That's the number one question. Why should this person care? Why should this person listen to you? And this applies if you're a writer, if you're, you know, in a lot of different realms as well. You're thinking, it's basically like getting in your audience's shoes and what do they need from you in this moment, right? So that's super applicable for any career, I think, um, in the relationship building piece too, right? Like what does that person need from me right now and what can I give them? So that's number one. Again, just seeing the big picture. Um, and this applies to any career as well. Taking yourself out of your little silo or your little not yours, but like if, you know, here's my job and this is all I do. No, you need to be able to see wide. You need to see your own stuff, but you also need to look, take that objective view again from the outside and like, how does this play with other departments or how does this play or what are the other connection points, right? And so there's that. And then I think the third takeaway that I would say, and this applies to anyone as well, is 
doing as much co-creating and co-elevating as possible. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. So whether I'm ruling out a change to an organization and I expect these five employee groups to do that because that's what the CEO wants, whether it's something like that, or if it's, you know, getting my kids, which I don't have and don't plan to have, but if it's getting my kids to, you know, eat broccoli, whatever it is, you need to co-create with them, right? So tell them, hey, you know, I think we're thinking about impl uh, uh, um, implementing Salesforce. Tell us why it won't work. So whether you're holding focus groups or whether you're doing this, ask your audience, right? Like, why wouldn't this work? What do you see as a point of friction? What do you like about it? What's in, you can ask them whatever you want, but basically co-creating, bringing them to build it with you, that sort of thing is really big. And then the co-elevating piece, I think comes in for sure in relationships, as well as, um, political pieces at work, whatever it is, or just getting leaders to do what you want. The co-elevating thing is, let's say my, my mission is this. Your mission is that, that guy's mission is that, whatever. And this applies in life in general, right? We need to find a way, or at least the very good leaders, regardless of if you have a leadership title or not, the good leaders understand that we need to get above my mission, your mission, your mission, your mission, right? This is, applies to politics specifically, because they don't do this. We need to get to the top and say, what is the most um, synergetic, all-encompassing mission or vision or whatever that we can all work towards where we are co-elevating each other to get to that higher goal? So if I could only achieve these two things over here and you can only achieve those one thing, whatever, we need to find a way for us to achieve this amazing goal where we're all going to get what we want and it's going to be like, it's like the sum, um, what do they say? The whole is bigger than the sum of its parts or something like that, where it's like right. you're going higher together. So those are the right. things that I think are really good takeaways for that. And that really comes down to every person believing that. My grandfather always said that when I married your grandmother, it's not one plus one equals two, it's one plus one equals four. Mm -hmm. What I was able to accomplish is much greater because we accomplish it together and vice versa. And I'm like, damn, Grandpa, like speaking the truth. And it's You know true. your math, Grandpa. You know? <laughs> and I know, right? And it, it, it got me thinking a lot about partnership and, you know, having had a business partnership and even in relationships, which like, that's a whole nother conversation that we yeah. got to do a part two on dating. Yeah. I oh, want the Tony, sucks. Tony yeah. playbook on dating. Cause New York dating scene is, that's a whole study. That's probably, now. You know, expert. you probably have so much wisdom for work from all of these people. The point is you need like both people need to be committed to that. And I think that that's the challenge. Right, like, that's, so it is, and that's why you have to find a way. And I don't know, do you know who Keith Ferrazzi is? He wrote that book, Never Eat Alone. He's written several other, he's amazing. He's been around for quite a while. Look him up if you ever get bored or if you want to get curious. He's a fantastic person, but he just wrote this book last year called Leading Without Authority. And that's where this lesson comes in of this co elevation that he talks about. And I couldn't have described it better, but I don't care what realm we're talking about. You have to find a way to put yourself in their shoes. And again, to get them to believe, right? Because again, you need, this even works with an enemy. Think about an enemy who's totally against what you're doing and they want to do something over here and they totally don't see eye to eye with you at all. You've got to find a way. And this starts with you starting, putting yourself out there and saying, Hey, I know that we haven't gotten along so well or however you want to phrase it, but essentially coming to their side of the fence, meeting them where they are and saying, but I think that I can help you and you can help me and we can help the, the, the larger whole if we work together on this big thing. And that big thing has to encapsulate something they want. So you have to really do that kind of influencing piece there. That's where the psychology comes in. Yes. And honestly, like 
we could talk a lot about just a whole podcast on like influence and psychology, but like I would just share, you probably know who these guys are, but if anybody wants like a shortcut on the game of life, <laughs> Robert Green with an E at the end of his name. I read love, I'm reading, book. I'm reading The Art of Seduction right now okay, and I'm yes, swallowing it whole. Amazing. 48 Laws of Power. Mm-hmm. Brilliant book. The Human uh, Nature one is came out about three years ago. That kind of encapsulates all of his books in one. So him and Robert Cialdini. I don't know if you've heard of him. He's been around for like 25 years. He basically had, he's the guy who came out with that book 25 years ago called like the seven, the power of persuasion or the seven principles of persuasion. These are the same seven principles that every marketing, every salesperson, every everybody uses all the time. And they're so impactful. You wouldn't think that you're like, oh, well, he spells it out in a book. Nobody would buy that. They fall for it every time. I taught a class at Columbia on strategic communications. His book was a cornerstone of that class, even today. That's how applicable it is. I need to read this, Tony. Yes, please read it. Do you feel like there was a moment in your life where it really kicked into high drive? Like what, around what time did you start really diving deep into the psychology and into reading these books and these podcasts? Was it a turning point? Like how did it, how did it really get to this level where you You know know all of these things? Here's what I would say is this is the beauty of it. Like you almost don't notice it. Cause like, you know, achieving mastery, Robert Greene, another one of his books, I read this book and I'm like, Oh my God, I've, I've got that. I'm, I can actually say that I, I feel that I have this mastery in this area and it doesn't mean you're done. It just means that I have some level to where I feel like, yeah, I could call myself an expert as I'm growing and learning. And what I would say is I think two things, I think I was always reading and doing the theoretical, right? It's one thing to do the theoretical, but when it really kicks into high gear is when you can apply it in your work or in your day to day. And you see how these principles that are in a book actually apply in real life. That's when it just really ramps things up very quickly. And so I would say that probably when that happened was a little bit after I met you when I moved back to New York and I started working for PwC because I start, I had all this great theoretical knowledge, but I hadn't been able to really put as much of it into practice and, at that point, just because I was more junior in my job and it just, I don't know, it hadn't clicked. In that firm, because just for various reasons, it clicked right away and I just felt like I was growing. I was like on this trajectory insanity, just amazing. And so ever since then, I have found that way where you have to balance the theoretical and the practical and then kind of keep them as an ecosystem informing each other and iterating and updating your knowledge real time. I mean, y'all, you already know there were too many takeaways in this episode to take note of. But one thing I do want to interject and say is not your average Joe takeaway number seven, Books work better when you take the theories that you've read on the page and put some action behind it. Lessons are no good if they just live in the confines of bookends. Exactly. Yeah, and that's for me, I think it was because I was actually seeing how all the things that I had learned, I was seeing them where I could apply them in work. And then you kind of learn like, oh, that's how that looks, right? Because again, you can only get so much from reading, right? You can get examples. But until you actually crystallize it in your brain and see the effect and how it made you feel and what the experience was of it, and you see the ahas and you see everything like that, that's when it becomes real. The first time that I had that aha moment with psychology specifically was one thing that you mentioned maybe like a few minutes ago of what do they want? Mm -hmm. Like what do these people actually want and how can I help give it to them? And and that I literally had a, a notebook a sheet on my notebook where I outlined like every player in the scenario that I was dealing with because I wasn't happy. I wasn't in a good place. And I'm like, what is wrong here? Let me like chart this out. Like from my observations of this person, what do they want? How can I help them get it? And then you, and then I started applying these things and then the relationships got better and I was shocked. 
I was shocked because it took me like five minutes. Let me ask you a question about that and only answer this if you feel comfortable. First of all, that's brilliant, right? That's like strategy gaming. That's fantastic. But my wonder is, because I know I used to do that a lot when I was younger, just intuitively. I wouldn't even write it down. I just was like, I could just tell with that person. I just know. And I would give it to them. And I'm like, oh, my God, they all love me. It got to a point, though, where if it, it's one thing at work. Now, in personal lives, I was doing it in my personal life without realizing it. And then I woke up one day and was like, hmm, I know I'm awesome to them. That's great. But do I get what I need out of the relationship? And that would be on me. That's my fault if I wasn't conveying my needs, which I wasn't. So I'm curious, did you ever have that happen in personal life or was that just in work? No, absolutely. And we've talked a lot about this too, mm-hmm. where yeah. you get into these friendships and they last for years. And then you start observing how do you feel after the conversations with these friends? What is the actual dynamic? Like who is doing what? And and sometimes I'm the shitty friend, to be honest. Sometimes I'm the one and I'm like, damn, I care about this person. I should reach out more for you. It's a perfect example. I'm like, this is a relationship I really care for and I need to be better about reaching out or communicating. Then there are the other, you know, the opposite side of the spectrum where I'm like, damn, what am I doing here? Like, what, what is this all about? And that's an aha moment in a bad way where you just start letting, I think what I do when I realize that a relationship is one-sided is I just start stepping back. I like... Yeah. take away my efforts you know i'm like i, I there, this is not worth the investment of energy and time which is sad but i think nature runs its course mm-hmm. but it's like a you're reason a, a season at a time for relationships right some things that you always say it's like the ebbs and flows and your elastic your rubber band analogy which i absolutely oh love God. and everyone needs to yeah. hear this can you please talk about your rubber band analogy because <laughs> this is what i do when i realize a relationship is one-sided I love that you remember this. I haven't told anyone about this for a long time. So this happened when I was young. I think it was, forgive me, mom, but I think it was because I had just watched my mother be treated like crap by her boyfriends over the years. And I kept thinking like, huh. And I was like looking at it from the outside again, from the objective perspective. And I was like, it seems to me, and I kept seeing it with a lot of women and it wasn't just women, but I saw it mainly with women. This is much more common for women. And there's a really great book out there, women, if you need help in this department, it's called Why Men Love Bitches. That's the real name of it. And it's fabulous and it basically goes through this whole thing that I thought of I was like it's like a rubber band think of a rubber band on your finger here right like it's stretched and then if one person is taking 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 this other person's going with them usually right as you mentioned that dynamic if you're always giving and this person's taking there nothing's going to make them stop taking in general sometimes they're just a great person and they'll wake up and realize it but when they don't which is common you get frustrated, your boundaries are not being respected, and you're probably not conveying them either, which is partly on you, not you, Joe, but in general, the person who's over here. And then eventually, you just get fed up and you leave, right? Well, what happens if when this person keeps taking, if you don't follow them, then it'll snap, right? So if you think about that rubber band, what you need to think about is maybe change that power dynamic and stop following them, but before you snap, a step earlier would be conveying your boundaries, conveying your needs and that sort of thing. And that's what I've learned later in life. I did not know that. I knew the rubber band thing earlier in life. I did not know there's a middle way, right? The middle way is if you really care about this person, before it gets so far to that rubber band, we'll have to snap. Start earlier conveying your needs, conveying your boundaries and setting them and sticking with them. And if that person is worth your time, they will start coming to your side of the fence a little bit and then it'll be a little bit more equal. And if they're not, then snap 
doesn't matter. So that's just something that I kind of picked up along the way. And that's so powerful because then you're really weeding out friendships and relationships that don't serve you. It's the rubber band test. Like, will your friendship or relationship withstand the rubber band test? What moment do you think the alarm goes off in your head that's like, you need to set boundaries? Like, what is that for you? Is there a moment? Is it you wake up one day and you're just like, I feel like shit. This is not working for me. Now, is it easier because you've been doing this for so long? Because how many relationships are people in where they have this like small voice in their head that's like, I'm not really happy here, but a lot of people keep it to themselves. I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten much more frank with people mm-hmm. Good. where I'm like, this is what I want. I'm not getting this. I'm not going to raise my voice about it, but I'm not happy with how things are being handled. Mm-hmm. What do you have to say? And, and that's the moment for me where it's like, this shit's going to snap unless we come to a solution because I'm not bending exactly. anymore. But that came this year. <laughs> This re- okay, so first of all, I'm so proud of you because I think it took me a lot longer to get to that point. Um, what I would say is before I found Terry Cole, the boundary boss, which is literally like two years ago, I think is when I first found her work. Before that, um, it took to get, it actually had to get to the point where I was so pissed that I would be like, like you said, I would slowly just walk away. And then if they chased me, great. I was already over it at that point though. So then we both lose, right? So the middle way is, I now, I am very clear about those boundaries. And I actually, I don't actually um, wait for a problem to put them out there. I actually put them out there proactively now. And I've, I've done this with bosses. I've done this at work, uh, romantic relationships, strangers, doesn't matter. I do it all the time now. And, and the more you do it, the easier it gets. Because at first it's tough. It's tough just like negotiating is tough for a woman. Saying no is tough for a woman. But the more you do it, it's like a muscle. It gets stronger. And so now I literally just operate. And again, part of this is knowing yourself and knowing those boundaries. And then it, it's, it's what I actually call um almost like a life lubricant it makes everything in life go you can make decisions quickly you can make you can do things quickly because you know where your boundaries are you know who you are and you automatically know how you feel about something because you already know all that stuff versus i used to be this person and i have several friends where they'll say yes to something and then like as it gets closer i I gotta cancel because i didn't really want to go anyways and it's like why not just save everybody the analysis paralysis and just say either I'm going to think about it and I'll get back to you so you can go think about it on your own or you already know the answer when you're asked because you already know your boundaries and you know you don't want to go to that thing. So what I would say is get as good as you can at doing it as proactively all the time and projecting it out and people will just know your boundaries. You don't even have to do anything. It's nice. This is so this is like very basic common sense but no one really learns this. And men are good at it, usually, but women are not because we're supposed to be nice and please everybody. You know, I learned this from you as well. When you go on dates, you make it very clear. Like, if there's a spark, let's keep going. If there isn't, mm-hmm. let's nip it in the bud. Like, let's not waste each other t- other's time. But I would love yeah. to keep you in my network. I think it's amazing that you do that. But, like, talk about efficiency. I know. I'm all my <laughs> Well, because you know what, and that's a great lesson too. I'm glad you brought that up because this is something that was super hard for me when I was younger, again, being a people-pleasing Minnesota woman, but I had a very good friend. Um, he was my best friend actually back in Minnesota and he's a great guy. And he told me very early on, he said, you know, I know you, because was what I would do. I would go on a date with somebody and I, you know, there wasn't a spark or whatever. And I, but I would want to be nice. and I want to be friends because I'm like, oh, he seems like a cool guy as a friend. I'm just not attracted to him. So I would like go out and like buy them Hallmark cards and there would be like this long card about how great they are and all this stuff. But at the end, it would be like, you know, so I hope we can be friends kind of a thing. And they would always be confused. And my guy friend, his name is Jeff, he would say to me, he's like, 
you're not really helping anyone when you do that. He's like, you know, just rip that bandaid off because they will respect you more and they will, it will make them feel better if you're just legit. And you don't have to be a bitch about it, but you just are like, hey, you know, didn't feel a spark. Let's be friends if you want to be. And I started doing that and it was so easy. And now, and all those guys, they're all my friends and they, they do, they respect you more. One of them even got me a job at one point. Like it's just, you can do, you can say anything as long as you're respectful about it, I think. And it, and also it gives them a hand in the game then. Cause it's not like I'm leading him on or doing all this confusing behavior. Cause I don't have boundaries or I'm not confident myself. It's more like, I'm just going to be legit with you. And why waste anyone's time? You've mastered the art of clarity of knowing what you want, yeah. what your boundaries are and how to communicate those. So no one's confused. Do you ever, it's I know not that always easy. it's not easy. And like, I guess the last section of this is when you have those moments of complete uncertainty. Like I know a while back, there was a, a lot of like career uncertainty. You didn't know what was going to happen in your world work wise. And you've been such a career woman. So when you lose that, it's like you, you get your floor ripped out from underneath you. Mm-hmm. Having all of this knowledge in psychology, in human behavior, in your own self-assessment, that was still a challenging time. So what do you do to reorient yourself? Like after you, you know, you're going to job interview after interview and you're not finding what you want. It's like, how do you stay sane in those tough moments? Cause you know, we're talking about everything's peaches and cream, but the truth is ebbs and flows. Like my beautiful mentor, Tony always tells me. And you're implying that I didn't go crazy. Um, so, <laughs> so here's great question. Um, yes. So first of all, you're right. It, it gets easier, but it's not ever easy, right? That's the key is it's not going to ever be easy, but it gets easier the more that you go through it. And that's the beauty of going through tough situations. I think adversity is a superpower. I don't care. And you and I can have a whole show about adversity and how that arms you in life and makes you better, whether you're an immigrant, whether you grew up this way, that everyone's had adversity on some level. And that actually should be your superpower. You should actually hold that in your hand like that's a diamond because that's what makes you so much better. So to answer your question on that, I'm a person who literally has known for a very long time that my way to get meaning out of life is my job. It is how I contribute to the world. It is what makes me happy. It all the things like literally the most important thing to me, I'm not embarrassed to say, is the work that I do in the world more than anything else. And so for me to go through a time period during COVID where my last executive role was eliminated and I was interviewing my ass off for five months and nobody was hiring or pulling the trigger. I will tell you, there were a few days where I literally took my toys and threw them all over the apartment and screamed like a five-year-old. And it was not scream, but more so the the closest I could get to being a toddler. There were some days where that happened, but (laughs) knowing that I employed what I know to be true, right? It doesn't feel good in the moment, but I know the things I should be doing in order to keep myself grounded. So in that particular example, I said, you know what? I need to do something besides all the things that we talked about with the routine and the the walks and things like that. Those are baseline. That has to happen no matter what. I took up painting. I started painting. I have tons of art in my apartment. I've given art to friends and family that I love. And I don't even know if I'm good or not, but I love what I paint and I love doing it and I don't care. And so for me, that was actually that and dancing around my apartment by myself during COVID was <laughs> the two things that kept me sane. And so what I would say to anyone else is when you're going through a tough situation, like just really, I think your practice of journaling is number one, like just get very clear again on like, what is it that you need in this moment? Do you need to feel like you're progressing? I did. I needed to feel like even if I'm not working, I'm either making a contribution to the world or I'm progressing or learning or growing. And the painting gave me that because I was learning how to paint and I was, you know, building things essentially. So you got to figure out what do you need in that moment and then find other ways to get that need met 
um, in that moment until you can get back to the way you usually met it. And you might find that some of these ways are actually the new way and you wouldn't, wouldn't do those old ways again. So I hope that answers your question, but that's kind of how I dealt with it. I love that. I mean, you have to you have to creatively solve the problem. I think the theme yeah. here is you have to take advantage of your skill sets. You have to take control over your agency. Like you have the power to yeah. do these things and yeah. no one is going to give you these things. Like you have to save yourself. You have to be your own psychologist. Yes. You have to be your own data collection center. That's how you you win at relationships with yourself, with others. Yeah, I, I think so. And I think life, and one thing I would say on that note, and I know you'll appreciate this and probably your audience as well is, I think one of the biggest important things you can do in life is to be the CEO of your own life. That means you take 1000% responsibility for everything that happens to you, everything you do in response, everything that you do to other people, everything. Because when you own all of it, you are the boss. You don't have to ask permission. You don't have to get lost in analysis paralysis and making up your mind, do I want? Because I, you know, we all know people that can't even decide or don't even know who the hell they really are. If you're the CEO of your entire life, it's all up to you. And that's a beautiful thing. I love that. I've never heard that. So we're going to add that. Actually, <laughs> just made it up. You're so good. Um, okay. And we've had a million, not your average Joe, takeaways here, but I always do this at every episode. If you could give someone a piece of tangible advice they could take today to be not an average Joe, what would that be with everything else we've just discussed? Hmm. Because I feel like this whole episode has been that. Um... It really has. Is there like some inspirational, motivational, or, you know, just like some wisdom that you have in the back of your mind frequently? Like your true yeah, north. I think so. I think, you know, everything we talked about for sure that factors in here, but I think the other part, and this is one thing my mother gave me and I didn't really like it at the time, but now I totally, I'm teaching her this, you know, she gave me this poem like every day when I was a little girl and it was something about attitude. And it basically said, you know, um, your attitude determines your life, blah, blah, blah. And I truly believe that like life is literally 10% maybe of what happens to you or how you were born or what you were born into and 90% what you do with it, how you think about it, how you frame it. Um, so I think that's number one and, and like to, to, to learn from those things. And I think the other thing is just, you know, using that adversity and discomfort as fuel, right? Because not many people are willing to do the hard things, but it's the ones that do those hard things. And I don't care if that's from doing intermittent fasting or ice baths like Tony Robbins, or if that's like being emotionally vulnerable as a CEO in times of need for your people, doing those hard things is what will set you apart from everybody else. So I think those are my big takeaways. Tony, I love you so much. Where can people <laughs> find you, you? Where can we read your articles and hear more podcasts that you've been a guest on? Um, well, I'm unfortunately, I'm not really a big Instagram or Facebook person. I just am not. But I'm on LinkedIn. And then I have a website. It's experienceandtransformation.com, all one word. So you can find me there. Isn't she the best? I love that woman so much. She's definitely one of those guardian angels that were sent down to be with me in my journey. And they say friendships are the wine of life. As they age, they get a little bit better, more rich. To me, as somebody who loves consistency, resilience, perseverance, I feel the same with my relationships. The longer they last, the more proud I am of them. And in fact, they change meaning over time because the relationship in the beginning that I had with Tonil was incredible. She was like an older sister that I never imagined I, I could have. But now, with 10 years of history under our belt, it's, it's for life. 
you know, it's that kind of friendship that is ingrained in your heart. This woman just wants to help and do good and having someone like that in your life just makes you want to do the same things. If you like this episode, don't forget to rate and review the show wherever you get your podcast. I will be back next week with some more interesting Not Your Average Joe takeaways. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Joe underscore Franco. And the show has an account as well with bonus clips at Not Your Average Joe Pod. I'm really curious what will become of this. I've been thinking about creating a Not Your Average Joe incubator program where we workshop some of our businesses. I'm going to create a Discord channel and you'll get fresh access to it in the description box. It'll be free for all of the Not Your Average Joe family members all around the world. This podcast was produced and edited by me. The visual version as well. Don't forget to check that out on YouTube. And uh, the theme song was produced and created by my lovely sister, Fernanda Franco, my actual sister. My sister jokes that I have so many good women in my life that they've become my sisters but they've also become her sisters uh, and that's the thing planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands plus quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. About good people, right? Like good people love good people and your circle of good people just gets bigger and bigger. Let me know what you thought about this episode. Shoot me a DM and I will see you soon. Have an above-average week because you deserve it, baby.